often. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter number 4. We'll begin reading in verse 1 down through verse number 11. Jesus is in the wilderness and he is being tempted as us. The scripture said, For we have not a great high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all manner as we are, yet without sin. So he's as us in that he is willing to go through this hour of temptation, that he might know the temptations that you go through and that I go through. I was thinking about also Hebrews chapter number 2 and verse 18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He knows about our trials, he knows about our temptations, because he himself submitted to the same. And so let's look at his, his being tempted. He, he is as we are. Verse number 1, the Bible said, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him into the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I want us to notice this hour of temptation, this place in the wilderness, and how that Jesus was tempted, and yet there are some truths in here that he would have us to know and to learn about temptation. First of all, I want to point out to you from the first three verses that in Jesus' 
hour of temptation, it seems as though that the situation was at its worst. The devil is very artistic in his approach of temptation. And he will come when you seem to be at your, your most vulnerable state. And here he comes when the situation seems to be at its worst. I noticed several things that are indicated that show us how bad the situation was. Notice where he was. The Bible lets us know that he's in a lonely place. He is in a wilderness. He is out there away from family and friends and loved ones. He's in a wilderness. I began to look at that word wilderness. It, even in the heart of that word, it seems to indicate one who has been orphaned. Now, I'm not subjecting or su uh, suggesting that Jesus felt as though he was orphaned, but I do know that the devil likes to get us all alone. Yeah. He likes to make us feel lonely. And it's not good for us to live in loneliness. We know that from what the Bible said in the earlier time in Genesis. He said it's not good for man to be alone. One of the most feared feelings is a feeling of being all alone in your situation. And so Jesus is out here in the wilderness and he is all alone. The devil would have you to feel as though that you're isolated. You are secluded. Nobody can reach in and you cannot reach out. You feel as though, have you ever felt that way? In some area of your life when you are troubled and you are tried and uh, you feel so lonely that it doesn't seem like mama understands, daddy understands, brother understands, the preacher just cannot grasp what I'm going. It even seems like God does not uh, it, it is not understanding what I am going through. It's almost like you feel orphaned or forsaken. You are all alone. That's a very bad place to be. But the devil likes to show up and make you think he's the only one that is there. Not only because of where he was is the situation at its worst, but because of what was there. Mark chapter 1 and verse 13 amplifies this matter of the temptation of Christ. And it says, And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. Now think of that. Jesus is out there isolated in the wilderness, seemingly all alone. Humanly speaking, that's the way it looks. And uh, the only thing out there with him that has any life about it at all, he cannot communicate with because it is not of human intelligence. It is animals. And it's not friendly animals. It's not uh, kind animals. It's not little kitties and puppies. But it's more of the lions and tigers and bears Oh, no. And isn't that the way in the hours of temptation that you feel? You feel like that everything has become your enemy. Everybody is a threat. 
You are on endangered on every front. And it seems as though that all that you can see is a bad report. And there is, there is this nature, there is this feeling of wildness coming in, the unknown. Again, I'm not suggesting Christ was afraid of any of those things, but you and I who are uh, are natured as we are, we are afraid of those wild beasts. We are afraid of the, the, the lions and tigers and bears. Oh, no. And it's, it, the devil knows that. He, he comes to us in times when we seem to be all alone and we seem to be threatened. We feel as though that uh, we are at the mercies of the enemy and everyone is against us. I look back over my life in a humorous way, especially as pastoring. I don't know why. Sometimes I would go to church and I would feel as though that everybody loved me and, uh, and they, they just they wanted me to be the pastor till I died. But then I would get to thinking during the course of some weeks as if that, you know what, I, I, just, I, I think brother so-and-so is against me or I think sister so-and-so, I, I, you know, I, I noticed the way she looked at me. It was just not, I don't, I don't think that, matter of fact, they'll probably vote me out Sunday night. All, all the deacons look like lions and their wives were tigers and, and I'm going to tell you, everybody become a great great big old bear. Have you ever felt that way? All the, you just have those days when, when uh, nobody's your friend, so to speak. Everybody is, is out to get you. The situation, he loves to come when we are in that, in that position. The situation's at its worst, where he's at and what was there. And then, if that's not bad enough, as the old cliche goes, when it rains, it pours. Boy, the devil likes to come when it's pouring. And notice, after the lions and tigers and bears and all that other stuff, the only person to show up that was of the mental capability of uh, being able to report or speak to him was the devil himself. Wow, he loves to come in those silent moments where... You can hear his voice as he speaks. And notice he comes and he says in verse 3, When the tempter came to him, here comes the devil himself to tempt the Son of God. And he says, If thou be, he will always come with a question mark concerning your relationship with God on one level or another. He wants you to feel some doubt and some insecurity and as if there's really a disconnect and it's all make-believe anyhow. And he says, if... He's a con artist. He's always, and he loves to talk. The devil loves to talk to those who will listen to him talk. And here he is, he is talking his loudest to the Son of God as he is tempting him. I'm saying the situation's at its worst. At its worst. Me and the wife, we had a friendly discussion here a while back. We have some of those from now up time to time. And I said to her, honey, I'll tell you what. If it hadn't been for Eve in the garden... 
and what she did, we wouldn't be in this mess no way. And I just stuck my chest out as if I had ended the argument there. And she said, yeah, and I'll tell you what. If Adam would have been over there talking to Eve like he's supposed to, the devil wouldn't have had a chance to speak to her. Well, uh, that shot my theory. And if some of you men got a little Bible for something, I'd like to have it. I'll tell you that right now. But here's what my emphasis is. Jesus is being tempted when the situation... There's never a good time to be tempted. There's never a pleasant place to be tempted, not for the child of God. It's always going to be dark and dismal and lonely in temptations and in trials and things of that nature. But here's what I want you to understand. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common unto man. These things happen to all of us. Let us realize we are not the only ones. He's not just picking on you. He picked on the Son of God. He's out to tempt us all. From the best to the least. And so I noticed that in this temptation of Christ, the situation was at its worst. That's when he's going to come. But then I want us to pick up with verse number 4, and I want us to notice that in Jesus' hour of temptation, not only is the situation at its worst, but Satan is at his best. Now I want you to know he's a full-time devil. He's not part-time. And he puts every bit of his energy into this matter of bringing man down. It is his job to tempt and to cause men to fall as he has done since the days of Adam and since the days of Eve. But I want you to know this Satan who is so good at what he does, he can even change himself into an angel of light. I want you to know he does it to his best. He puts everything, as I say, in it. But yet, I would suggest to you, and I hope you can understand this, this is no merit on my my, uh, part, I cannot say that, now I can't say he hasn't, but I don't know that I could say that the devil has ever personally come to me and tempted me. Now, that may sound strange to you, but I want to suggest to you, Satan is not God. He is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. If he's over at your place, he's not over at my place. He is not omniscient. You need to understand this too. The devil doesn't know everything. You need to be careful how you're testifying on Wednesday night because the only thing he knows is what you tell him. And if you get up testifying, telling them how that boss is ragging you and I'm going to tell you causing you about to lose your religion and bringing, I'm going to tell you making you mad and everything else, well, you, he's taking notes. He's just going to up it in the morning because you have, you have told him, given him some insight. I like what one fellow said. He said, the devil may ride my back, but I will not supply a saddle for him to ride it on. 
And I cannot say that Satan has ever come to me. And you say, well, why? Well, I noticed that when he was going to put those thorns into Paul's side, he did not do that directly. He did it indirectly. The Bible said a messenger of Satan. You see, he has his messengers. He has... He has his demons. He has his imps that go out and carry out his orders. That's how. He has a structured power. And those that are under him that obey his orders in the temptations and struggles of mankind. But I want to suggest this to you. If, if the Apostle Paul is not important enough for him to personally go put those thorns in, I really don't think that he's... He, he thinks I'm that important. As a matter of fact, here's what I'm getting to. The devil only has to put into it as much as he thinks it's going to take. Yeah. Now he knows and he's not going to come up short. But the sad part about it is, I must confess to you, I'm ashamed at how little he has to do sometimes to get me all riled up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ashamed that it doesn't take more than it takes. For most of us, when I pastored a Baptist church, I'm going to tell you, for most Baptist preachers, all he got to do on on Saturday night, he'll tell one of his little demons, one of his little devils, he said, "Uh, go in there and get a screwdriver, that's all you need. You don't need the whole tow box, just get a screwdriver. Just any kind of screwdriver. And go in there on Sunday morning, adjust the attendance down, adjust the offering down, and you'll fix him. Monday, he won't be fit for shooting. You ever see a preacher on Monday that the offering was down, the attendance is down? He's ruined for the day. He don't even want to go to church on Wednesday night. The devil has taken a little screwdriver and adjusted on him. I know he's done it on me. But then how about some of us mamas? Can you remember raising them daughters? And what the devil would say, well now I know, I know, I know, I know that she shouted on Sunday. I heard her shout. But get in that toolbox and get that pair of pliers. And in the morning when that daughter gets up, just crank up her attitude a little bit. Let her get in mama's face and that'll fix her for the day. She won't be singing, oh, how I love Jesus. She won't be doing no testifying to anybody. Why? She's going to be, again, all out of sorts. Isn't it amazing how little it takes to upset us in our in our relationship with God, in our worship, and in our spirit. Sometimes it's a guy in front of you that doesn't see that the light has been changed green for two minutes. Where are you not going? That's all he's got to do. Isn't it amazing? Just, just, it just takes so little. I'm ashamed that sometimes it takes so little to get to me. As we grow in Christ, it ought to take more and more and more and more. But here I notice when he comes to Jesus, he, he knows he is the Son of God. And so he, 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 if, he, if he somehow can triumph over Christ, then he's the victor in all of this matter of humanity and so on. And so he comes to Jesus with the full toolbox, putting everything he's got into it. He knows what it takes to bring you and I down, and that's what he's going to use. And notice now, there are three approaches that he does to Christ. The amazing thing is, and I'll throw this out to you and amplify it in a moment, is that 
with Christ, who is the Son of God, isn't ironic that He comes and tempts Him with spiritual things? He comes and tempts Him using the Word of God. He misquotes it, but He brings the Word. It looks to me like He'd have stayed as far away from it as He could. But yet He brings parts and partials of the Word of God. Not only that, he takes Jesus to church to tempt him. Takes him right up on the pinnacle of the temple. And then he tempts him right in the area of which God's greatest promise for him is. You see, the devil's not afraid of your religion. He ain't afraid of coming around where you think that you're spiritual. I'm going to tell you, he can defeat you in your strengths and he can defeat you in your weaknesses. And I notice he comes to approach Jesus on three levels. Notice, if you will, in verse number four. It is written, notice verse number three, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, my question here is, what would be wrong with Jesus out here in the wilderness with nobody else, all alone with the devil? He's hungry. It's been 40 days, nights since he's had anything to eat. And we do know that he could, he, he could do great wonders as far as food was concerned. He could take five loaves and two fishes and feed multitudes on two occasions. Now what would be wrong with him taking a stone, one little stone out there where it would hurt no one and turning it into a cat head biscuit and eating it to satisfy the hunger that he has within As I pondered that, I began to realize in the New Testament, Jesus being God manifested in the flesh had divine powers. And we know all through the New Testament, He performed many miracles that are recorded. And John said that if He had recorded all of them, the world wouldn't contain the books. So he has done miracle after miracle after miracle. So why will he not in the presence of Satan? What's wrong with taking one stone and making a biscuit out of it? Here's what I see. While Jesus would use his divine powers as the Son of God to minister to one person after another, thousands upon tops of thousands of them, I challenge you to read the New Testament and find one place where Jesus ever performed a miracle of any sort for himself. If he was thirsty, he remained thirsty. If he was hungry, he remained hungry. He did no miracles for himself. And here is the truth of the matter. It is hard for the devil to tempt a man who will not self-serve. But he realizes that his whole life is to be used for the work of God in the ministry of mankind. He said, I came not to be ministered unto, 
but to minister and give my life a ransom for many. The reason why the devil has the victory in our lives in America so much is that somehow we think life is to be consumed upon us. We think that everything is for us. We like the little phrase, have it your way. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus would not even take and use enough divine power to turn a stone into bread for himself. He would not abuse that power. It would only be used for people because it was God's working through him. Can I say to you again, it is hard for the devil to to tempt a man or a woman or a girl who is only interested in the work of God. They will not self-serve. Truth of the matter is, most of our struggles come out of our self-service, out of our covetousness, out of our demand that that, uh, we be uh, ministered unto. But Jesus is not going to do that. And hallelujah, I'm glad that he's not. Now notice the next temptation in verse number 5. He has tempted Jesus to self-serve or to serve himself. He refuses to do so. It's not the work of God. Verse number 5. And may I say here, Before I leave that thought, and if you'll notice from Genesis all the way through, God never made anything for itself. Everything was made for someone or something else. We need to find out what that else is in our lives and let God use us for that else. Notice, if you will, in verse number 5. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Takes him to church. (laughs) He said, well, I'm going to go to church get away from the devil. Ah, well, that may not work. He hung around Jesus and the other 11 disciples for three and a half years. Uh, Look at it. And Jesus saith saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, he's continually pressing on that mark, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now what Satan is doing is, is, he, is he is tempting Jesus in, in this matter of scriptural promises of what God said He would do. And now here, here he, is tempting, he is tempting Jesus to, and he's saying to Jesus here, let God do it. Just go ahead and jump and let God do it. Let God do it all. <laughs> he'll tempt you on one extreme and say, you, you go ahead and do it all yourself. And then he'll come over on the other stream and say, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and jump and let God do it. Let God do it. See, he has tempted him. Now listen, let me explain it to you. He has tempted him not only to self-serve, but here he is tempting him to self-destruct. Come on, jump. Come on, jump. Now I'm going to say to you first, I know that Jesus is not going to... Somebody said, well, what what would have happened if he would have jumped? He ain't going to jump. He's never done anything out of God's will. He never will do anything out of God's will. He ain't going to just try to impress the devil. He's got nothing to prove. Thank God. While he's on trial, he doesn't even defend himself. 
And here, he's not trying to prove anything to the devil. But he said, come on, jump down. I got some Bible for you here, Jesus. Let me, let me quote you some Bible. Go ahead and jump. Jesus is not going to jump out of the will of God. He is not going to self-destruct. He's not going to do wrong and expect God to do right. Well, I'm going to tell you, in our little religiosity, on one hand, we'll claim a promise, and on the other hand, we'll live presumptuously. On one hand, we'll say, God, you take care of us, and on the other hand, we'll live like the devil wants us to live. And boy, he likes for you to claim them little verses. I tell you, there's been more claimed Romans 8, 28 in their time of self-destruction than any other thing you know about. I love that verse, and I do claim it. But honey, if you're out here living a reckless life, don't put that verse in the back of your head that I'm going to somehow, going, it's going to be all right. Why? Because of Romans 8, 28. If you're living like hell, it's because you're going to hell. If you get in an automobile and run 110 miles an hour, don't talk about how God's with you and he's going to protect you. You're going to kill yourself, idiot. Well, I want to say unto you that it's hard to tempt a man who will not self-serve and it's hard to tempt a man who will not and refuses to self-destruct. He is only concerned with the work of God and he is only concerned is the will of God. He doesn't care what the devil wants or anybody else. It's not a matter of what's right or what's wrong. It's a matter of what God's will is. So he has tempted him to self-serve. He has tempted him to self-destruct. Then notice in verse number 8. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of this world, or of the world. And the glory. Boy, there's a lot of glory in this world. There's a lot of glory in this world. There's a lot of kingdoms in this world. There's a lot of kings that the devil's given them these, these, uh, these thrones that are so temporal. Yeah. He saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, what he's doing here in this area of temptation is he is, he is trying to tempt Christ to take a shortcut in this area of what God's will was for his life. He came to be king. He is king and he will be king. And every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. But what the devil's saying to him is, hey, I can give you a kingdom now. I got the full kingdom. I've got all this kingdom, and I'll just go ahead and give it to you now, and you won't have to go through no old crown of thorns. You won't have to go through no old cross. You won't have to go through all of that abuse. Well, everybody will love you. Everybody will follow you. You're just going to be king as far as this world is concerned. 
But you see, the thing about it is, is anything the devil gives you, notice this, anything the devil gives you has a price tag to it. Yes, sir. You don't have to check the price tag. It's always the same. Price tag's always the same. You say, well, what is it? No matter what the devil offers you, the price tag is what, he, what the price tag was for Jesus. He said, you can have all of that if you will bow down and worship me. Now, we know what worship is. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It goes back to the first commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. What worship is, is when you give your all. You give who you are. The seat of your heart, mind, and soul is committed to the one that you worship. And when we worship God, we give God all that we are. And so what Satan is saying, here's the price tag, Jesus. You can have all of that if you give me all of you. But the only problem is, anything the devil gets you, gives you, he'll take from you. Now, here's the second thing you've got to understand. The devil can never offer you anything in this old world, but what God Almighty has promised you spiritually in His Word. I don't care what it is. The devil will offer you a poor substitute in a shortcut to get something for the gratification of the flesh that God Almighty has already promised you in the Spirit that will be yours throughout all eternity. And everything the devil gives you will suck the life out of you. He demands your all. And have you noticed? Those who have surrendered to the devil to get the glory that is in this world, how their lives end up. Just recently, Whitney Houston, the, the... the, the star singer and movie star ending her life in such tragedy. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll. All of those who sold out to the world. Yeah. But you see, the same world that elevates you is the same world that will suck the life out of you as you come back down. And that's why you can see so many teenagers, you can look in their eye, and they're already dead. There's no sparkle in their eyes. Why? Because they have sold out to the devil, and he has sucked the life out of them. God doesn't suck the life out of you. Jesus doesn't suck the life out of you. He puts life in you, and life more abundant. When I surrendered to him, I found out what life was all about. And the more I serve him, the more I find out what life is all about. Glory to God. And thank God I realize that his promises are not temporal and they will not fail me, but they will carry me through all the way to glory. Can I say to you, it's hard to tempt a man who will not self serve. It is hard to tempt a man who will not self-destruct. It is hard to tempt a man who will not self-exalt. Because his only concern, listen to this, his only concern is the work of God, the will of God, the worship of God, 
and the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to sustain us in the hour of temptation. Now, Satan did his best. But can I report to you, he failed. He failed. But he's not only going to fail on Jesus, he's going to fail on all of those who only want the work of God, the will of God, the worship of God, and the Word of God. But I want to point out to you this third thought about this matter of temptation. We have noticed that the temptation of Christ is when the situation was at its worst. It'll be the same for us. It will be when the devil is at his best, trying to bring us down. But the last thing I want to point out to you, I notice in verse number 4 and then in verse number 11. You know, this thing of temptation is a, uh, it's a curious thing, uh, sometimes confusing. It is something that we as God's people fear so much, and we are to pray, deliver us from temptation. But yet on the other hand, I don't think God wants us to tiptoe around as if we're afraid we're going to wake up the lion. He doesn't want us not to go camping because we're afraid of the bear. I'm going to tell you, we can live freely and joyfully in spite of the devil. And James lets us know that on two accounts and two occasions, how peculiar it is. When we fear temptation so much, yet James comes along and says, My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into temptation. James, what do you know about it that we don't know? And he goes on in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. James, James, James. You talking about stealing peanuts or M&M's? What could be joyous about temptations? You know, there's something here in this temptation of Christ that I think we can learn. It's what God wants us to know most about temptation. What he wants us to know most. Now the devil doesn't want you to know this. This is the most important part. He doesn't want me to tell you. But guess what? I'm going to tell you anyway. Did you notice in this text, understand this, three things. What God wants us to know most. In this hour of temptation where it seemed to be so lonely and seemed to be so, so isolated and it seemed as though that uh, you were orphaned and it seemed as though the devil was so imposing and he had you there all by himself and he's about to pounce on you and he wanted you to feel like you were at his mercies. He loves that. Yeah. i got good news for you. You ain't there by yourself. Amen. Look in verse number one. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. I mean, they can't be diced up. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's called the Trinity. Now, someone has said, and I think rightfully so, to try to explain the Trinity, 
you'll lose your mind. You just got to believe it. But try to explain it away, and you'll lose your soul. Because it's true. He is the Son of God. So we all believe that, right? All right. Now let's look at Jesus going into his hour of temptation. I want you to see that there's more to it than what the devil wants you to understand. If we believe that the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three are one, they are all three God in one, Read that first verse. The Bible said that Jesus was led, how's it go? Of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. All right. If we be Baptists and we believe in the Trinity, is the Spirit God? Sure is, ain't it? Well, would it be all right if I said it this way? Jesus, when he went into the wilderness of temptation, God went in with him. Didn't he? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. He ain't by himself all after all. God went in there before he ever got in there. Yeah. It helped us to know that God's around. He ain't forsaken us. Amen. The devil ain't the big boy on the block. Yeah. Well, who was it that was led of the Spirit into the wilderness? What's his name? What's his name? What's it call it? Jesus. All right, Jesus is who? God. So could I say it this way? Jesus was, when he went into the wilderness of temptation, I could say it this way. God went in with him, the Spirit. But I could also say God went in in him. Isn't that right? God was in him. I'm feeling better all the time. Especially when you're facing the devil, the big bullet. Huh? That you think's the only one there to find out that God went in there before you got there and then he come in on the inside. Huh? If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I'm glad that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. Then notice in verse number 11, as if that's not enough, the Bible said he sent the angels in there and behold, the angels came in and ministered unto him. Now let me say it this way. When Jesus went into the wilderness of temptation, God went in with him. God went in in him. And then as the old mountain preacher would say, God sent in after him. It looks to me like there's a whole lot of God there. It may be God's more, if it's possible, more aware of you in your weak moments and in your times of trials and temptation than at any other time. He ain't going to leave you to the devil's devices. He'll come in there with you and in you and send him after you. Now that gives me a little different picture. If we're not careful, we get down now, all we can see is the devil. All we can hear is the wolves and the bears and the lions. But if you just sit still for just a minute and realize and sense the Spirit of God, you'd realize the Lord's in there with you. I love this illustration. The Lord gave it to me years ago out of my childhood. But when I was a kid back in the hills of West Virginia, oh, 
six, eight years old, I used to go around the community and I'd collect what we called pop bottles. I don't know what you call them up here. But see, back in those days, for those children that are here, you could find eight pop bottles, go to the old country store. Now, this is sacred ground. Give me a moment. I get emotional here. You could take eight pop bottles, go to the country store, and you could get you a moon pie and RC cola. Woo! And if you had an extra penny, you could get you a bag of tater chips. 25 cents. Woo! Wonderful. Wonderful. I remember on a couple occasions going up to the old country store, having collected my bottles, got my moon pie, and my drink and so on, and stepping to the outside of the, the uh, store there. And there was a boy that was there from the same area that was five years older than me. He was the same age as one of my brothers next to me. I actually had five brothers older than me. Uh, Joe, of course, is one of them. And, and you know, having five brothers older can be good and... It can be bad. And I don't know, I must have acted smart around my brothers with this boy there, you know. And have you ever had somebody look at you like they, they didn't like you? I couldn't figure that out. He had the look about him that he wanted to beat me. It was disturbing my meal. He wanted to beat me severely about the head and shoulders. And the problem is, under the circumstances, with just me and him there, I knew he could do that. My goodness, he's five years old. He towered over me. And I was afraid. But I'll never forget when he asked me a question that lifted me out of the gloom and doom. Gave me great heart. He looked at me and he said, Dana, he called my brother's name that's five years older than me, same age as him. He said, where's Reed at? I looked into his eyes and I saw a different look. And I figured it out real quick. He could whip me. He knew he could whip me. But he was scared of my big brother. (laughs) Now that changes the atmosphere real quick. Home court advantage moved in my favor. Now I did a lot of lying in those days. Of course I wasn't saved and it saved me several whoopings. So I said to this Boy, I said, well, when I left the house, he said he was coming right up behind me. I had no idea where he was at. He could have been on the moon. I I didn't know where he was at. But it saved my hide. And you know, when I got saved, you first get saved. Somehow you believe that salvation is by grace. And then then what you got to do is you got to do the good fight and whip the devil the rest of the way. Isn't that the way you feel after you get saved? And what happens? You just get the hound beat out of you every other day. <laughs> He'll come and punch that flesh and work in this way and that way. And you rise up and say, Lord, I'm going to give a good fight for you. And the devil loves that. He said, oh boy, I got him in the ring. Oh, boom, boom. Bruise and beat and kick. He's, he's merciless. But one day I got to reading the Bible, especially there in the New Testament, and I got to noticing that those demons, every time Jesus come come around, they got scared. They would tremble, the Bible said. They begged Him to leave them alone. 
And it dawned on me one day. What are you doing fighting the devil? Did you not know he's scared of your big brother? Huh? The battle's not yours. It belongs to the Lord. But thanks be unto God which giveth us what? The victory. Giveth us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) I've got good news for you. The devil, though he thinks he has you all alone, all by yourself, all orphaned, it's not true. Don't believe it. Don't fall for it. Realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He's more than enough. I want you to understand, Christ is more than enough in our hours of temptation and trials and weaknesses and lonelinesses. I'm glad that I can trust him and find him sufficient for my time of temptation. <laughs>